Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey everyone, welcome to the 407th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Matt Yuri. You can check out his website, M-A-T-T-U-H-R-Y.com. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Carlin Hudson back on the mic. She's a returning guest. We've had her many, many times. We just had her on our New Year's panel just recently, and I thought to myself, dang, we didn't get enough Carlin. So we asked her back to talk about a handful of things. Yeah, mainly festivals. Sundance is going on and whether uh, we should care or not. And we also talked about shot lists and if they do or do not define who you are as a director. And I very much enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, it was great. You know, if you like this show because you feel like you don't get to hang out with directors enough, you just want to like talk shop, dig in on a few topics, talk about what's been going on in your life. This is an episode for you. And I think that honestly is a lot of what people like about the show. Yeah, and I do think we kind of go from indie filmmakers to commercial directors to just general filmmaking uh, on this episode. So I think everyone has something to enjoy. The question is not just like, oh, should I make an indie movie or not? But like the bigger picture is like, is networking important? Are networking hubs important? What am I missing out on? What's important? What isn't in my career? Whether that, and that's applicable, whether it's commercials or indie films or everything in between well if you care about these types of things and you want to keep hearing about them we would really love for you to go to our patreon page patreon.com slash just shoot it pod we can throw a dollar two bucks four bucks whatever you want per month to help support this podcast uh matt and i have just decided we will endorse your website uh at the very beginning of the, of the podcast episode if you have one or your instagram channel whatever we can find do you want to make it? Is there a minimum for that? If you're like four bucks a month or more? Or just nah. don't worry about it. Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Okay. Sick. I like that. Uh, and yeah. So, you know, you'll get one extra thing. We're going to go through our existing patrons already and obviously like endorse their sites as well. I don't want people to be penalized for not <laughs> already for having been patrons before. We. Love you all. We appreciate you supporting us. Uh, it really does help us keep going. When we see the email from Patreon that we have a new patron, it makes us very happy. Our hearts flutter. Anyhow, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. Check it out. Let's hop into our conversation with Carlin Hudson. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Carlin Hudson back on the show. Welcome, Carlin. It's been so long. It's been two, two weeks. Yeah. The last episode. It's been too long. We have a handful of awesome topics that we've already set up for the listeners at home. Um, so we'll jump right in. As of this recording, it is Monday, January 15th. Sundance is imminent. So it's on its way. And we're already getting those emails of like, hey, can we circle back when I'm back in town? That sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to talk about it for a couple of reasons. First of all, it always, I always get a little frustrated around this time of year because, as I was saying, I'm like ready to go. I'm Jones and, you know, we've been back for a little bit of time. And like, the last thing you want to hear is like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a, a X amount of days, work days. And like, it always feels like it takes people like six weeks to catch back up. Maybe because they literally, get sick. Feels like it. Because they, they all get, get sick. sick. And they're traveling and then they tack something on and da 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 da. And like maybe they're there for a super long time. And then before you know it, South by is coming and it just feels yeah. like, oh, no one's actually working in this town for except for like three months. Just for mm-hmm. some clarity, can I like obviously there's film people with films at Sundance that go to Sundance. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm assuming these are not the people that you're talking about. Not getting back to you. No, I'm not like uh, annoyed that the Daniels aren't emailing me back. Right. Or, or who, who, who do you care about that is going to Sundance and getting sick and not responding to you? So this is a perfect segue into the second part of the question, which is, do you have FOMO and should we be there? And the, to answer your question, Oren, agents, right? Yeah. Um, which tend to be there a bottleneck in terms of all sorts of important information, specifically in my case, offering actors roles right so if they're out of office they're not returning or they're out schmoozing or things like that things noticeably slow down and then the other thing is that uh investors and producers in particular my producers are also going to sundance Mm -hmm. so if a bunch of agents and a bunch of financiers and my producers are all in park city and i'm not of course i'm having fomo not just because 
I love movies and I love film festivals, but because it feels like I'm missing out on connections and business opportunities outside of participating in the festival, right? Like I used to, the common adage is like, don't bother going to Sundance until you have a film there. Um, yeah. which I think is, is, is true to a certain extent, but also we all know so many people who met someone or rather even like, you know, solidified a relationship that they had in LA or they had somewhere else, but then they're just, they were at a party or, Oh, I, I was, you know, watching the game with someone. I ran into someone at a bar, you know, and they, they come back to LA with a, a rock solid, uh, you know, relationship because people are there to connect about independent film the thing that i am the most passionate and focused on right now Hmm. right and so you already predicted my thoughts on this but Mm -hmm. to me it seems like independent film if that is the thing you're working on like feature film Mm -hmm. then there's a huge huge value in going to sundance um i think between the three of us we've been to sundance four times and Mm -hmm. i don't think any of us have had things play in the sundance film festival I, had I, like I didn't direct it, but I the re, the only time I went, I was the co-producer on a movie, on a feature. Oh, right. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you did have something in Sundance. You did have something yeah. in Sundance, and also as a as an easy example, that was computer chess, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, the filmmakers who made that movie, you still see their names on stuff all the time to this day. Yeah. Shoot. What's their name? But they, yeah, they're huge in independent world. Sam, Sam, somebody, I forget the, the EPs. We'll connect Mm -hmm. about it later. You can look it up on IMDb, but um, yeah, it's like these guys who financed a bunch of Andrew's films. They're always there. I had a script in the slam dance competition. Oh yeah. I placed. And so they gave me a pass to go to slam dance for free, which of course was like the, only excuse I needed to go to Sundance, which happens Absolutely. to be at, at the same time. And I, yeah, and I'm, believe I I'm used sh- the Slam Dance Pass for zero movies. Well, yeah, and I'm sure people know this about Sundance, but as someone who is like has a much stronger relationship with South by Southwest, which I played three times and like I go to all the time. I also lived in Austin. Like when you have a, a South by Southwest pass, you get to get into movies, but at Sundance, you have a Sundance badge and you don't get into anything. Except for some mm-hmm. like lounges. So that's what's so strange about Sundance too. It's like just a different beast altogether. You know, you like have to have tickets to barter and you stand in the line and it's this whole, it almost feels like it's more about parties sometimes than it is the movies. And that mm-hmm. to me can be frustrating. Now I'm just talking about, shit yeah. about Sundance. No, but, but to, um, to Matt's credit, it's, it, it's about the networking. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's why you go to Sundance. Yeah. And, and so, that to me, like, you know, you talk about adages about not going there, you know, until you have a movie there and kind of the history of Sundance and should we be there? But to me, I don't know, ever since COVID, like it's kind of lost its luster and mm. people, I think most of the movies that sell, like people are talking about before the festival. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that there's so many discoveries of like things that nobody had any idea about. It's impossible to get into see the movies the parties are pretty hard to get into unless you're super connected it's really cold uh it's it's really expensive the the cold's no joke the cold does make it so cold just much harder to like finagle anything and lodging is so expensive it's like you can sleep on my couch for 300 dollars a night and you're like what (laughs) 
So I had yeah. no joke. Like that's not, I wish I were exaggerating, but yes, I do have FOMO. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's you the know? real question, Carlin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think really, I actually, did I say this on the last episode, but I no, I didn't. Maybe I was talking to someone else. I was talking to Christina Archer on her podcast. Cause I was like, I was late to this thing. Cause I had to re upload Instagram to my phone because I took it off when the Sundance announcements came out. It made mm-hmm. me so depressed. I was just like, you know, the, the old, the old adage, uh, compare and despair. And I was mm-hmm. just seeing friends movies and I was telling my wife, I'm like, well, oh, Sundance. And she was like, babe, you didn't submit anything. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> and yet I am, I wish that I was, had a movie in there. You know what I mean? But I like, sure, I truly didn't course. submit anything. So it was just ridiculous. So I took Instagram off my phone, was much happier. Today, I took it back off my phone because I was like, well, fuck me. Sundance is actually here. What's worse than the announcements? Mm-hmm people's movies actually playing there. Yeah. And so sure. it's like not, and I, and you know, just to, to clarify, it's like my friends that have movies there, I'm, I'm happy for them, but I also wish I had a movie there, you know? And like, you want them to have movies there. You just also, absolutely. it reminds you that you don't have one. Yeah. 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 Same being there, being there without a movie, like is to me, the only, like, I, I think for you, Matt, may, like it maybe makes sense to be there just because you are, you have a script, you are attaching cast and you're raising money and you have a list of types of people that happen to be at Sundance that you really need to meet right now. Mm-hmm. But if you did not have this, I, I don't, I feel like if someone was like, Hey, here's a free ticket to Sundance and free lodging. I don't know. I don't think I would take it. Uh, like really, unless they're, unless they also said, here's five movie tickets and six mm-hmm. parties and all your friends are going like, it's yeah. such a it's such a job. It's, it's a job. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. and and I I agree with with you for the most part. And but I guess in the back of my head because we all know a lot of producers who who go every year, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um and they always have a couple things they're kicking around and they're trying to, you know, even if they don't have like the script that they're that is their front burner they always need financiers. And there's a part of me that was like, well, I used to be a person in my younger years who would knew everyone, mm-hmm. especially like when there was like a web space, you know, like you, there were concentrated scenes that you could plug into and get to know people and who knows how you could help them or they could help you. Right. But you have to show up in order for those connections to be made. Yeah. And you guys are right. All of those aspects of like the lodging and the snow and all that stuff is really daunting, but it is also a place where there are, that's a concentration of people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's really helpful if you know someone that works at the festival. Sure. The very first time I went, my friend was a volunteer there. Hmm. And he was, a vo- he took tickets at the press theater mm-hmm. and he just, would let me in for free to every movie at the press theater. The small wow. theater was like a pretty good friend. Yeah. That's it was like yeah, me and Roger cool. Ebert and like 10 other reporters. Yeah. yeah. It was like not a, not in demand cause you couldn't buy tickets to it, you know? Wow. Uh, and so, and it wasn't a huge theater. It was like, um, it probably was like a 40 person theater or something like that. Uh, and then, but I didn't know anyone, you know, I just mm-hmm. moved to LA 
except for him, but I would hang out with the interns and stuff and he could kind of, he figured out, he was also like the lowest intern on the totem pole. Um, but he just happened to have this, the perfect job for me. So I saw a lot of movies. And the second time I went, that's when, you know, I knew some actors that had movies and my friends, um, uh, John and Teresa Gulasarian had a Duplass film there and they got us into that movie and we went to the after party and it was fun. But I also went with like a big group, like, mm-hmm. like eight people or something. And I couldn't get everyone into the parties. Totally. You know? And oh. they were half of them are not film people at all, which is like so annoying. Don't don't take those people to Sundance <laughs> yeah. with people. Yeah, because they're like, we don't want to go weight. to like a panel. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Guys, go skiing. I'll see you tomorrow. You know. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. I'll text you if I can get you into a party. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like, I like you've been to South by like yeah so many times, and you know I I don't know. I guess I feel like you're really having FOMO. Like you really wish you were there and like, what would happen? Like, unless you're, unless you're trying to set up your movie. I don't wish I were there. I wish I had a movie there, (laughs) which is different. You know, I, um, that's yeah. Sundance, even, even though my, and I think Matt, we've even talked about this, even though my filmmaking style is not a total shoe in for Sundance because it's Mm -hmm. just, sometimes I'm like, I don't know. It's not like navel gazy enough or like dramatic <laughs> enough or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I or like star studded or whatever. Yeah. Like they yeah, have like, yeah, exactly. That said, there's a personality to what they're, they're programming. Right. Yes. And, and that said, it's like, who doesn't want Sundance on their resume? You know what I mean? It's sure. just like, it feels like it kind of catapults you. And that's, and I know that that's not totally true because I know friends who I actually have a friend, Maybe I hope he doesn't listen to this, but, he, you know, he lives in Austin. He had a movie at Sundance maybe 10, 15 years ago. He's teaching yep. out of college. Um, he's made some other movies. They haven't gotten to Sundance. You know, did it totally change his life? Not really. It did for maybe a couple of years, but he never really turned into anything after that. And, and look, he's not he's not dead. It, it could still happen. You know, it's a long this is a marathon. You know, it's I don't mean to say that. He's not going to continue to make stuff that gets into Sundance, but, um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's not a golden ticket. Right. Right. But it feels like it. And still, it still would be nice. It'd be a nice feather in the cap, you know? So so outside of the, I don't want to use the word jealousy that we're all feeling, or at least Carla and I are feeling, but that that sort of (laughs) internal conversation aside from a business perspective as a, as a director, um, do you feel like it would be valuable, Carlin? I do think if I had a movie ready to go, I mean, I guess I do have a movie ready. I have a couple movies potentially ready to go, but I just am so frustrated by this this status of them that I they don't feel like fresh. I have like one Sundance story that's not my personal story, but one of my like mentors is Jamie Babbitt. She directed, but I'm a cheerleader who's directed like hundreds of episodes mm-hmm. of TV. She told me her Sundance story. This is also with big caveat that it was in the nineties, but sure. she had made yeah. a short, pretty, she important made a, caveat. Yeah. pretty important which, caveat, which was she, the heyday of Sundance. Yeah. That's true. But you know, she yeah. had made a short film that got into Sundance. And when she found out that it got into Sundance, she hired a graduate student, I can't remember if it was like UCLA or USC to write the feature version of the script based on her outline. And uh-huh. um, she got the first copy of it like days before Sundance. And it was terrible. Wow. 
and it was shit. Uh-huh. But she didn't care because she was like, I'm going to meet someone to finance the feature film version. And I want to be able to say I have the feature script and it worked. Mm-hmm. She got money and then she made, but I'm a cheerleader the next year, mm-hmm. yeah. which is nuts. And I, I'm pretty sure there are still stills from that movie in my lookbook. Really? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's all great. That it's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. So I do think, yeah, I, I don't know if I had like a proof of concept for something and a feature. Yeah, there, there's a world in which or like my producer or actor I was really friendly with and they wanted me to come because they wanted me to kind of like they wanted to network with me. I think. it. Yes, yeah, so there's like. Yeah. Right. I think there's a sort of X factor of like when it would make sense. What I'm hearing, Carlin, because you have. Plenty of movies that like definitely could. If someone was like, "Here's a check," you 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 know you have you just pick your favorite. But it, mm-hmm. maybe it just sounds like you're not especially excited about the hustle of like the indie grind specifically, right? Like yeah. that you've kind of been doing the studio thing for long enough that like that's the path now. <sighs> but is it working? You know, this is this is like this is a lo- this is a different conversation because I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know what I don't know what the answer is for me exactly. Sure. Indie I mean, versus studio. Movies, yeah. Making movies is uh a complicated situation right now. It's pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I do think like film festivals are different. You know, all these festivals you can attend virtually now also. So <laughs> yeah, I totally. think the camaraderie and the like exclusivity and the like whoa we're all in here we're all here freezing our asses off together is like not as cozy maybe as it used to be and and it could just be that i'm older and like less excited by the adventure of it all you know yeah totally. the wind just cuts through a little harder now or yeah, yeah. i but mean also sharing that- a sharing a room with two other people was truly fine when i was in my 20s and now i can't even you know i'm like particular about the hotels that i stay in so it's just a it different is. sort of we are in a different era, you know. Are you are you still like Matt? Are you still excited about like the indie hustle, the grind, like as you say? Uh, yeah, excited about question. the wrong. Excited about the I, wrong phrase, but are you still willing? Yeah. I willing certainly. Yeah, I think. Uh-huh. Though you know, it's easy to say that, um, and to have not been confronted by like the size of a crew. You know what I mean? Like, mm. like I, I think it's easy to be like, yeah, for sure. I can, I can still hang. And then when you're trying to shoot a movie in 14 days or something like that, being like, well, this is impossible. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so we'll yeah. see. But I, I think, I think I've still got it in me. I'm pretty confident I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's more about making sure the ambitions of the script don't overreach whatever budget ultimately we end up with. I I do have anxiety about like going out to talent right now and I know what the budget is and knowing like the creature comforts might be lacking in a way that mm-hmm. like from a commercial perspective, certainly they will be in comparison, you know, right. comforts for you or for actors. No, no, no actors, actors feeling self-conscious of like, Oh, if you're asking a movie star to come and like they you can't afford a trailer yeah, or, right. or yeah, exactly. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Or um, they're like all, their particular glam squad, which costs twenty team. grand sure. a day. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. It's simply an untenable amount, you know. Yeah, just like yeah, like oh, that's just not 
not this movie. Yeah. Though I wonder if like on an indie film, I mean, obviously on commercials, people demand having their $20,000 a day glam squad. But I think on an indie film, if you agree to do it, like, you know, maybe you want to approve the makeup artist, but I don't know that you, people are expecting to make, you know, five Mm -hmm. grand a day. Totally. Indie film. Right. Yeah, that's true. And they they get it. You know, like if you cast um, like Zach Galifianakis to be in your indie film, he's not going to demand a $20,000 a day glam squad. Mm, Zach, Zach might. No. Yeah. A lot of beard to to trim. (laughs) On the topic of film festivals, our editor, Noah Bashor or Bashor, no one is quite sure. Um, (laughs) Could you ask him? Yeah. He said it's Bashor. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a clear answer. It's it's a pretty good size. Yeah. Yeah. He texted Matt and myself uh, today about uh, his film. He's got a feature film he finished. He's applied to film festivals. He's, He's a few festivals have told him like, Hey, we're, we're excited to, program your fest your film he's waiting to hear from like some bigger ones first i think sure but he was asking and it, and it's a small film it's like it's his first indie feature but he was asking if we think he should get a sales agent now before he knows where he's premiering and all that stuff oh interesting i think if you're not at one of the big festivals probably not interesting see i almost wonder if it's the other way around. I mean, my, my answer to him was we got my first feature, which is the only indie, like the second feature I did kind of had a, a deal set up in, before we even made it. The first feature, we did get a sales agent. We paid him $25,000. This is in 2010. So I don't know <sighs> how much it costs nowadays. Yeah. yeah but he did not end up leading to the sale of our, <laughs> our movie. We got distribution. And everything yeah. it had nothing to do with him. And did I he was help like, with festival strategy or anything like that? Did he, were there? Uh, no, he like advised on like some um, mm-hmm. connections and things. He, he was, you know, he, he was kind of like this, like he also knew some people that we knew. And so it kind of mm-hmm. helped that there were two connections, you know, kind of dovetailed. Um, but I know we mm-hmm. had Glenn on the podcast who mm-hmm. works in that. And he's, he seems like a uh, honest and, fair and decent guy. Um, and so, yeah, what can, can sales agents help you get into festivals? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They definitely can. Yeah. Um, and, or, and also help with festival strategy as well. Um, imagine if you just knew a filmmaker who, uh, their entire livelihood and bread and butter was distributing films. Of course they would be at different festivals and they would have their own set of connections and that's part of what you're buying in on. Right. But you think a sales agent can help you get into a festival? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Well, they can probably get you submitted past a deadline or Hey. Yeah. Or put in a good word or, or recommend festivals that maybe aren't on your radar. The, the right. thing and, and Car- Carlin, I'm going to assume that you haven't listened to the Glenn episode. I'll have to do it. Carlin said she only listens to episodes where we interview people named Carlin. That's fair, true. Fair. I listen to them a lot, actually, because Carlin's <laughs> have good advice. Glenn uh, represents um, a very specific size movie. He helped sell See You Next Christmas. Um, mm. But like, you know, if you're premiering at Sundance, I think Glenn would love to help you out. But he would probably admit that he's not the guy for mm-hmm. that movie. Do you know what I mean? 
I think he has rep movies of that. Right. He probably has rep the smaller indie films, but not the like $2 million indie films. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe he has. Or the the 10, 15 million dollars. Who knows? He's had a long career. I'm sure he's repped everybody. But the point is that he specializes in smaller movies. And so those smaller movies, sometimes a a new filmmaker will be like, well, yeah, I, I applied to... All of the festivals, Sundance, South by Southwest, <laughs> Tribeca, and we didn't right. get into any of them, right? And so <laughs> in that case, you know, somebody who's been around can recommend a few festivals that are right for a film of your size, basically. Mm. That's the situation there. The tricky thing is that like, and I think all sales reps worth their salt will tell you this, they can be honest about whether or not they're optimistic about you making your money back on this movie right Mm. so small movies you know they have a hard time like if you don't have an a-lister in your movie it's hard it's hard to make your money back on any sort of movie right but like there is there is like the the hope that when you make a movie for no money that you can make your money back yeah it's still pretty darn hard right because not that many people watch movies that don't cost any money i didn't even think of of making money as part of like this whole equation. Part of the sales rep? <laughs> yeah, to me it was like What does a sales rep do to you? Get you gets you distribution so people see your movie and then hopefully right. you can make a bigger movie next time. Sure. Um I think mm-hmm. to me I don't know I, I feel like that's that's everything. Yes, sure someone makes a movie that goes to Sundance and they sell it for 20 million dollars and it's like, you know, it's amazing, but most people I think even that premiere at Sundance are not making a ton of money, you know, like a small indie film that doesn't, you know, get big distribution at a Sundance is maybe makes its money back like on the, you know, some movie channel or I, I don't even know who right. I see films who even buys indie films anymore. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, few and fewer people, but that's the other thing that a sales rep is going to help you with is like, not just introducing you to a distributor, but keeping an eye on what your deal looks like and guiding you through that so that maybe you have a fighting chance of making that money back. Do you pay them? Do you pay Glenn like up front? So this was going to be my question to Carlin, actually. So Glenn does charge an upfront cost, Mm -hmm. um, which I know some people dislike very much. Glenn is also a lawyer. He helps look at your contracts and things like that. And he's straight up about like, listen, if, if he's only making a percentage of your gross and your movie doesn't make any money, He's, he doesn't have much of a business. He doesn't have a business, right? And so yeah. he does charge a, a, a modest upfront fee for sure. But CAA doesn't. Gersh doesn't. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. like um, so in the big leagues, but that's also because they're going to take 10% of a $16 million Hulu deal or something, right? Right. But also yeah. they won't rep your movie. Um, and, and even Glenn, I think, will watch a movie and say, this isn't. You know, I don't see how it's not obvious to me how to sell this movie, so I'm not going right. to rep it, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, so Carlin, what do you think of sales reps who charge an upfront fee? Have you have you experienced that at all? Have you heard of that? I have. You know, we. I, I feel like I made my first little feature. So feels like so long ago. We sh- yeah premiered in 2016. I don't know how long ago that was, but um, so lifetime ago, right? A lifetime ago. Um, (laughs) We did talk to sales agents and I don't believe that we ended up going with one simply because we just didn't have the money. 
You know, we were like, I feel like the lowest quote we got was like 2,500 bucks or something. And we were like, we don't have $2,500. You know what I mean? Uh, so we didn't do it. And we ended up getting like very small distribution through Gravitas Classic. Are they even around anymore? Yeah, big time. Yeah, big, big time. time. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, Gravitas also like has made a push into like more like higher budget films actually. Like they've got oh, cool. marquee movies that like get max deals and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So we ended up kind of doing it just DIY style. Yeah. So I never, I never, I never did it. You know, we never, we never pulled the trigger there. I don't know if that's uncouth to say nowadays, but um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel like when you're making such a small movie, you probably don't have that much money. So it's just kind of a wild mm-hmm. business model to be like, I don't know how much he charges and maybe you don't want to say, but even if it's like five grand or one grand, it's just, it's just kind of a lot of money when your home budget was $50,000, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is, I think, I think most people will, you can have a frank conversation with them. Like you have that consultation mm-hmm. where you lay all of it out and like, right. then they can kind of help guide you because I think there are plenty of people also for better or worse who to Orrin's point aren't, as worried about making their money back, right? They're like, hey, I saved up, you know, I, I work a job as, as an editor for this company and this is my shot and I want people to see this movie. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to get it out there. And that's problematic on a whole other level. Um, that's not really the purview of this podcast. But like, you have to be clear with what your goals are, I guess is what I'm saying when you talk to those people. Mm-hmm. So Noah's considering it considering the potential what he told me was that he's fine to kind of wait to see what festivals he he gets into but some of the other people on his team are antsy to kind of see things happening right and he thought maybe a sales agent could accelerate that in a way see what potential deals they could get give some advice on if this is sellable at all Hmm. and also like maybe grease the wheels at a festival or two that um is kind of above the ones that he kind of has these guaranteed. I mean, he should get a consult, right? Maybe he should, maybe he should talk to a couple of them, at least get their uh, 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 feedback, right? Will they watch the movie for, for the consult well, or no? That's a good question. I think so. Though I would guess, I could, can't speak for Glenn or any other person in that position. I bet you know in about 10 minutes. Yeah. Do you know what or I mean? Maybe Just you, in terms it's of like, like a script. You watch 10 minutes and then you just go to the end. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. okay, like you get a sense of what the aesthetic is and who's in it and what the vibe is. And, you know, if you've been around the block enough times, you know who who is going to be, who this is going to appeal to at the very least, whether you right. sit through, you know, all 83 minutes of it or whatever or not. Well, Noah, I hope we have uh, thoroughly not helped you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah. What your guts say? Yeah. I feel like if you, if he were, I feel like you should talk to at least two, if not three, however, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. you've, I bet people have wildly different quotes and approaches and as a new homeowner. My guess is it's not a huge industry. <laughs> My That's guess true. is that there aren't thousands of sales agents that sell a kind of micro budget film, you know? Yeah. So you maybe talk to all of them and it might be. Five. Five. <laughs> well, Glenn, That's Liz true. Our, our pal Liz Manichelle. Oh, yeah. Besides that. You know what? He should talk to Liz and charge, char- Liz should charge him 
a small fee mm-hmm. to give her knowledge. I think she should do that. I think that's what they should do. I'm not kidding. That is the thing she does. Yeah. You know that's the that. thing she does. Okay. Well, Noah should yeah. talk to Liz. Yeah, that's that how seems she makes like a good living. in between. <laughs> I'm like, what a great business idea I have for Liz. You should consult. Uh, <laughs> yes. So yeah. yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's the kind of thing he needs more than like a true sales agent. Just like sort of a festival consultation overall. Yeah. That's a great point. Well, good luck. Noah. let us know. <sighs> Matt, do you feel like we've covered film festivals enough? I feel good. Get into, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Something that actually makes money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or something that actually builds a career for I mean, directors. Carlin, how no, many times kidding. have you been South by Southwest? Three. 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 No, no, no. Obviously, film Beautiful festivals are, career. are amazing. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> truly Beautiful though, career. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, you, I, I, just to put a pin in it. I think the the hard thing about independent film is that there are there's a halo effect around making things and getting accolades and awards and all of that stuff, and that's really hard to uh, quantify. And Orin, I know that drives you insane, right? Um, you could make a movie that doesn't make financial sense for investors or for your life savings or whatever that can still be very meaningful to your career, even if it's not like, mm-hmm. oh, well, now I'm the Daniels. Right. You like you just because your movie doesn't sell day 24 doesn't mean that it doesn't help your career. But it's really hard to be like to pin down specifically in what ways it's helped your career. Right. Right. Yeah. And no, it doesn't drive me crazy. I mean, I, I love film festivals. I, know, I think they have a, a huge place in our industry. <laughs> we, we know the roles we play on this podcast. Right. Or. Yeah. Yeah. I like <laughs> it. No, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think they're great for breaking in and I think they're great for kind of nurturing artistic pursuits for people that are like kind of stuck in overly commercial things. Yeah. But I think to me as like, to me, like the thing that's most exciting for me to talk about on this podcast is just like the sustainability of like a directing career, you know? Sure. And, and I don't see film festival playing a huge part in that unless you work for the film festival. I, I hard disagree though. Hard disagree. Right. Because it still fuels your notoriety, your reputation, all of that stuff, right? Like we always joke about how sweaty it is to like write an email to say your commercial contacts, new year, just checking in, right? But you know, it's a sick thing to post about. Hey, I, uh, uh, you know, see you at Sundance, question mark. Yeah. But, but see you at Newport Beach Film Festival, like. If you're not in, to me, that's the thing. It's like, if it's not a top five, maybe top 10 sure. film festival. Well, that's just a marketing pitch though, right? Like see you at New, Newport Beach Festival, question mark. Probably not right. Even though that's a great festival. Don't hate. Um, it is. that No, that, that's it, what I mean. It's great. like there's but like, Nantucket. There's check all these out my new festivals. short, award-winning short. No, I wouldn't watch it. Right. Even if it won an award at Newport Festival is an easy example of how like it's helpful. For sure. It's, sure. It's funny. I feel like there's nothing... That turns me off more than like, look at my 12 award winning, like my short won 12 awards. Sure, sure. You can't, know. you know what you, you know what you can't do is you can't like omit the embarrassing part. You can't, you can't be like, yeah, 12 award winning, <laughs> like the where you make the laurels very tiny or something like that. Yes. That's very bad. But if you're proud of a short and it did win some awards, maybe you don't lead with you know, second place at the Newport Film Festival. Um, but but new work you're excited about, new short, and also it won some awards is for sure cool. For sure worth yeah. worth talking about. 
I mean, you and I get a lot of emails from people, filmmakers and publicists, talking about people's shorts winning awards in smaller film festivals. And my guess is that you've watched probably close to zero of them. Here's the, the brutal truth. The brutal truth is that anything you make, whether it is a commercial, a spec, a short or a feature, it has to be fucking awesome. Right. Right. And so like everyone listening has something awesome. They're capable of making something awesome. And we all believe that we are capable of making something awesome. Otherwise, we would have quit a long time ago. Right. So that is that's like the 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 given for every conversation we've ever had on this podcast. Right. Like it has to be awesome. Yes. And also you need to be proud to talk about it. But we will only think it's awesome. If it premiered at a top film festival. But, but that's not, um, they go hand in hand though, right? Short of the week, a Vimeo staff pick. That's true. A thousand likes on that post. Oh my God, this is so cool. I was surprised. I, you know, we went to high school together and this is incredible. All of that stuff stacks up, but it's got to be, it's got to be awesome. In fact, well, now that you're note, saying that, oops. Yeah. No, go well, on. it's go almost on. like, yeah, I actually, when, when someone says Vimeo staff pick or short of the week, I almost think that's going to be a better movie than like an award-winning short film mm-hmm. at whatever the fuck Laurels. festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. so those two things, now that you say that, I'm like, oh, there tends to be like a quality to those. And it's a little more, it feels like slightly more equitable than film festivals too, because mm-hmm. we all know that film festivals are also political in their own right. Mm-hmm. But like. Mm-hmm. getting the email of the Vimeo staff pick people. There's some politics involved with that, but also like if they just see a fucking cool short from a new filmmaker, they're going to be like, hell yeah, that's a cool look at that. That's different. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's trying something new. It has something that has a voice as a POV. So yeah, it almost those two, I, anyways, those two feel yeah. more meaningful to me. I don't know why that's worth men- mentioning, but it is. Well, and also I think you made me realize we're not talking about, exclusively cold outreach right we're talking about building on your community right so people who i already know for instance or you know like your 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 personal network or you're always talking about posting on instagram right and how that's like so meaningful for your career (laughs) right oh um is it yeah absolutely absolutely it is Mm. Sorry, Carlin deleted Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what's Instagram? Unaware of this. Yeah, Carlin. Huh? <laughs> or, does really, really cool behind the scenes videos. He'll he does. Explain he does. A part of no, crap after seen, something. You know, you know these I, videos. I, I still look at Instagram on my computer. Sure, <laughs> sure. But for people who don't follow Oren, um, you do post really awesome behind the scenes videos. You talk about craft, all of that stuff. It's all we're all saying the same thing, right? Like making something cool and then showing people it. And like, if you can get mm-hmm. buy-in from third parties, whether that's a thousand people that happen to know Oren and follow him on Instagram or a festival programmer. Mm, more like 2000, but yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Either way. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, that's, we're mm-hmm. all talking about the same thing. We're all just looking for ways to like amplify our work. Totally. Well, I think not on that note, on the previous note of everyone having to make something awesome. And, and, you know, short of the week and, um, you know, Vimeo staff picks kind of finding people that have something to say and having a voice. I've been thinking a lot about that lately. I mean, I, I know every, every filmmaker, you know, thinks about their style and their voice and like what, what they have to say and how they say things and 
how they're identified. But recently I listened to two podcast episodes. They're actually, I think were both Jordan Brady's uh, podcast, Respect the Pro- Process. One was Tom Kuntz, who's a director at MJZ. Ooh. Jordan asked him for advice on people trying to get into commercials today. And he's like, I have no idea. You know, I got into commercials like 30 years ago. I don't know what people do today, but I can just tell you, don't try to make something that looks like every other commercial. Trying to make mm. something that is just you and whatever and is super awesome. It doesn't even have to be a commercial. But if you make something that sticks out, people will find it. And the advertising people will already start trying to make things like that mm-hmm. thing, you know? Mm-hmm. If it, They'll if rip it you off, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he had another uh, EP on uh, the podcast, this, his last episode, um, the EP from Spears and Arrows, that was talking about the same thing. Like, if you want to be get work you need to make stuff that just feels like specifically you and unique and interesting and different and just don't say the same thing everyone else does and right now you know i'm working on a few different projects and i'm making shot lists and storyboards and sometimes i just feel like my like this is where i can stick out is by making cool shots you know Mm -hmm. like not just a two shot and then an over and an over and then we cut to the next scene like moving the camera in an interesting way, cut making interesting cuts. Like you watch a, a show like The Bear, you know, it has like all these dynamic close-ups, you know, or you think about Edgar Wright that does these cool zooms, or you think about even, you know, like Portrait of a Lady on Fire with these like stunning, like, you know, uh, blocking and like framing and lighting. And sometimes I'm just like, I pitch, you know, my heart out. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And the camera is going to be dynamic and it's going to be this and cool transitions. And I'll put like a hundred cool gifts from eye candy or whatever in my treatment. But then when it, the time comes to making the shot list and making the storyboards, I feel like sometimes I'm uninspired, you know, it's like two kids eating cereal, you know, in a kitchen, <laughs> like, you know, and I have to tell this story in two and a half seconds or something right. before the next thing and happens. You could throw a, you know, a probe lens on a camera and like, and 15 feet of dolly track or whatever, and just like fly through a, a Cheerio and like swirl around and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but if I want to spend three hours right. on it yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also have to think about production, yeah. um, like yeah. how long it takes to do these things and how many notes I'll get on it. And I have to justify it to the client, you know, like in the agency. So I'm just curious from both of your opinions, like just when you're doing, you know, especially short form stuff that has like a limit on how long it can be, like just what's step one for making your shot list or maybe, maybe choosing shots is not the thing that makes you, Mm -hmm. you, maybe it's about performances, maybe it's about comedy, dialogue, lighting, whatever. But how, how do you, find ownership in like shot lists or like ownership of your style and your vision, I guess. I like to think of like, what's the, the main shot? Like what's the, what's the thing you want to build around, right? Like I, you probably have, maybe it's the first shot. Maybe it's the moment of inspiration. There's a moment, a beat that you probably have a shot you're excited about and then build Mm -hmm. a, build it around that I think Carlin what about you yeah I mean I'll be honest I I don't know that I've ever thought of a shot list this way because I to me it's like a tool to just to communicate I guess in that way now that I'm saying that loud yes it's a tool to communicate your vision so that you can make your day and everyone's mm-hmm. on the same page so I guess in that way yeah it does need to be 
more comprehensive about or just more have some sort of POV because otherwise it'll just turn out to look like everything else. Right. But I'm like, huh, I've just really never thought of a shot list. Like, how do I, how do I also, or do you just mean? I mean, if you look at a shot list from Tim Burton or from Wes Anderson or from Ava DuVernay, you know, they probably, I'm assuming that looking at the shot list, like, you know, I worked with Mike Mills a fair bit. Like, I can tell from his shot list that he's Mike Mills, you know? Oh, really? Um, Can you give an example? Yeah. I mean, I guess he, he has like a very specific way he, he writes descriptions and things and he, yeah, he's like very, he'll just describe things very plainly. Like, mm. you mm-hmm. know, like the man, the tall man walks through the door and like looks around. Mm-hmm. He, I think he's kind of like earned that in a way, but he, he'll do, he'll make something all black and white, you know, or he'll shoot in four yeah. by three or he'll, he'll try to do something like specific, but also like, I wonder if Wes Anderson is like when he's making his shot list, he writes symmetrical frame in a symmetrical right. frame. Yeah, I mean, probably. You know. Right. But even if he didn't, I, I think it feels like maybe we're talking about two slightly different things. There's the literal document that says something like if it's a Wes Anderson movie, you know, lateral track into Bill Murray you know, 25 millimeter or whatever, you know, like, um, Mm -hmm. but we all know what that shot looks like and that it probably is symmetrical and that they, it moves on in cardinal directions because of the big picture that it's a Wes Anderson movie and that we've seen, we're all briefed on that. Right. And Carlin, I think what you were asking is really like, what's the POV? What's the take that's guiding what informs that, that shot list, that document. Right. And Orin, are you trying to make it clear just from that document exactly what you want? No, I guess I I can give a more specific example. Like I'm working on some serial commercials right now. Mm -hmm. And there is like this whole adventure element that takes place in the middle of the commercial. These are 15 second commercials. So I have a scene where these kids eat the cereal and get transported to this different world. And I have four seconds to have them decide to eat the cereal mm-hmm. kind of thematically tie in the adventure they're about to go in on with this opening scene and then see them eat the cereal and get transported to this world. Um, mm. So I have four, four seconds to do that of on-screen time. Um, and I have all these parameters. Like I have to see the cereal boxes in the very first frame and they have to fill up 60% of the height of the frame. Like there's all these, <laughs> yeah. all these different. Yeah parameters from the um you know the brand but uh but i'm trying to add my spin on it you know like is it a, a dolly push in do we whip pan or do we do a quick zoom out uh are we transitioning from this bowl of cereal to an item in the adventure world you know like a match cut anything i think of is like adding time you know mm-hmm. to this thing and so i'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to not just have a two shot of two kids at a table cereal boxes and then cut to a close-up of a kid eating mm-hmm. cereal, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to make it better than that. And I'm just mm. having trouble. And that's one of my projects. Another one is I'm doing these commercials where, where people are looking at their reflection in the mirror, in the bathroom. And there's only like four angles <laughs> sure, where right. you can put the camera you could where you the actually see the reflection. reflection. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and I'm trying to make an in- then I'll like go on to shot deck and I'll type mm-hmm. in bathroom and I'm like, oh wow, it's a super awesome angle from Wolf of Wall Street. Hi, looking down in this public restroom, you know, and I'm I'm like, I don't know, I'm just kind of it's not like writer's block in any way, but I'm I feel like I have all these parameters I need to these story beats I need mm-hmm. to communicate mm-hmm. and I want to do it clearly and quickly, but I don't want to lose yeah. sense of style and I'm just struggling with that you, you make me think of something you guys struggle with no 100 percent. i think we all do i think we just we're zoning in on specifically what you're dealing with mm-hmm. I, the, the flip side is i remember talking to uh, andy radzuski previous guest who's a dp about like a show that was like very trendy once upon a time um that everyone was talking about the cinematography right euphoria uh, <laughs> no, no but might, might as well be do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You've, uh, like not mm-hmm. to sh- talk shit about any specific shows but like this would be an example of i think when a normal person when a civilian says oh i love the cinematography in this they really probably mean i noticed the cinematography and andy would yeah. describe that as not best cinematography but most cinematography mm. mm-hmm. and I think that when I'm in Oren's position sometimes I'm like, okay, so I got to have these kids eat this cereal. I am like, okay, we'll, we'll make it super wide angle and zoom through it and this and that. And, you know, let me call Oren and see about a VFX shot where we match cut. And da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, then you're like, this is, you could throw the kitchen sink at something, but is it tacky? Mm-hmm. Or is it that what's right for this? Right. Like, are you going to spend so much time trying to make this work and it's not, and it's yeah, going to be not exactly right. It's going to be okay. Gonna, and then the rest of your shots are all medium shots. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I actually like what you said, Matt, about like, what are the shots you're, what are sort of the hero moments that you're building to? And how do you, how do you support those? And I'm also, I, I, I don't know what your adventure one is, but I'm like, well, I would think too, like, what are some adventure movies that it's like? You know, is it like The Goonies? Is it like, mm-hmm. I just Treasure watched Island. that Peacock, Muppet Treasure. Sure. I just watched that movie on Peacock, This Will Destroy You. The the mm-hmm. I kind of liked it, actually. Did it was like it? so stupid. I yeah. liked it. Look. You know, Paul McGanty directed it. Yeah, it was. Previous, it was yeah. Yes. And I, I've been always wanting to meet him. But um, it's obviously it's stupid. But that it knows the assignment and it leans in so hard. And I, I just love a comedy that's like, we're a fucking dumb comedy and we're going to sure. ham it up. And the third Let's act go is going to be bananas. Yeah. 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 And uh, Conan O'Brien was so funny. And he was really we were like, he's never been funnier. Do you know that John Higgins, what the dark haired guy? Yeah. Is the son of, of Higgins. Of Higgins from uh, the Conan O'Brien show. Yeah. Oh, right. Late night, late night. Well, aren't those guys like all like Nepo babies? Yeah, yeah. It's not oh, a different one podcast. Of one of them isn't, but yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but three. yeah, but like that's an, you know, that movie is obviously like, like they go on an adventure. So I don't know, like I would be, I would be, my brain goes to like, what's sort of like in cinema, what are some hallmarks of things that really gets us into like what the genre is? quickly Mm -hmm. in one to two Mm -hmm. shots so that i can just like the audience is like oh sure this is this cool i can relax totally you know yeah i have that that yeah there's this show called one piece on netflix Mm. which i really loved it's like based on anime and 
it's kind of like my reference a little bit for fun angles, but I still, you know, I also have this kitchen set that I can only shoot from like two angles. Sure. And I all can you see also, the ceiling? You know, is there a ceiling? Uh, there currently is no ceiling, but I, I could probably. Could the mute, I mean, it's like, I, I also think there's so many tools in like a director's tool belt. That's not just visuals, you know, like what's the sound, what's the performance, what's there's other things that like, you know, might be special, even if, even if it is, I mean, one of my most successful commercials is that fucking Cheerio keeps saying like, fuck, fuck, fuck tonight. Um, the Cheerios commercial, we cross, that was just two cameras cross shooting mm -hmm. static. Mm -hmm. That is all yeah. we did. We could do that because those are great actors and because the, the content was really funny. It didn't need bells and whistles. You know what I mean? It needed like two actors that everyone knows and loves and riffing on some, some serial stuff. Uh, yeah. it, that's all I that needed. I love that spot of yours. And I, and I think it's, yeah, it's a different, it's a different beast than yeah, yeah. it has. Yeah. It has super famous people in it. It's shot beautifully too. Like the location sure. is. That that's a real house, right? Are yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on location, mm -hmm. the lighting is amazing, and it's kind of about the tone of breakfast, right? And is, do they mention about heart health? And you have this yeah. amazing <laughs> CGB, um, yeah, that is a component as well. Mine yeah, is yeah. much more like think of like a '90s Fruit by mm -hmm. the Foot commercial, mm -hmm. <laughs> like. It's so love it. insane. Uh, you know, or um, mm. a Capri Sun commercial. You remember those Capri Sun commercials <gasps> where the kids would turn yes. into liquid metal? God, yes, yeah. those were that, awesome. What was the purple stuff? Is that... Uh, oh, Sunny Tang. D. Gushers? Sunny D. Oh, oh. Sunny D. Yeah. But the Gushers commercials, commercials? Gushers commercials, the kids would turn it into, turned heads, into would turn into like a, a strawberry gusher or whatever. That's right. Yeah. Those were awesome. great too. Just, just super wide angle close-ups. Dutch angles, neon colors. Love it. I also, yeah, you're also just, now I'm just giving you a pep talk, but you, you just, you are so clued into like what works visually. I just think, I don't know, maybe you're just doubting yourself. I think whatever you pick is going to be great. You're, you, you're, you're a very gifted visual director. Thanks. I guess the pep talk is helpful. Well, good. But yeah. I'm like, yeah. I don't know. My shot lists are pretty, um, I don't, you know, I don't even really make a technical shot list anymore. I, I, I do like, I have an Excel well, you do storyboards, sheet. right? I do storyboards and then my shot list is really like photo boards. Mm -hmm. But isn't your storyboard based on your shot list? Like you sit with the storyboard artist and you're like, well, first we'll oh, do a wide. Yeah, shot that's right? true. Yeah. So I do write it out first. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. So today I was at, I was editing my storyboards together and I was like, eh, I feel oh. like I'm like I'm it's mo most cinematography, mm -hmm. but not good. It literally is push-ins and pull-outs and like yeah, yeah. reveal this yeah. and you know, I I can already see my DP cringing and being like, So do I need to get a zoom lens for this? Cause you're like <laughs> woo woo. You're like kind <laughs> of zooming in and out and doing all sorts of wacky stuff. I like burying a zoom. Yeah, it sounds awesome, Warren. And like, like pulling a zoom as you're moving the camera is sick. You know what I need to watch? Hmm. I should watch that every frame of painting on Edgar Wright and just steal like the six best ideas he has. Transitions. Shoot, know what transitions you're shooting. That's the secret of that video, yeah. at least. Yeah. Hmm. So tough when you have six frames to do a transition. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Match cut, match cut, match cut. Yeah. It's the best transition there is.
Well. Um, okay. Well, thanks. I'll let you guys know how it goes. I'll send you yeah. my animatics yeah. that I made today. Great. Starring great. my kids' voices. Oh, that's great. Aww. I knew they would be good for something. <laughs> uh, before we hop into unpaid endorsements, new listeners may not be familiar with you. How, where can they find you? How can they keep track of what's going on? Well, I did out myself as someone who's not <laughs> on Instagram much, but I am bad and I do check it on my computer twice a day, at least. It's just something about it being on my phone. Yeah. That's yeah, it, pretty it's toxic. A, it's a prison. Yeah, it's going to ruin your brain. Do you yeah. keep people, do, do you post? Do you like let people know about your projects? New work alert, Carlin Hudson. You know, I've kind of not been very good. I, yeah, like I've been on set quite a few times since I've posted. And I, I'll, if I have somebody posts a story of me on set, I'll, I'll repost it. So, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> well. If you want to see a POV of an actor having a great time with Carlin. <laughs> she also has a website, by the way, carlinhudson.com. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, my internet presence at the moment is like low on my to-do list. Um, but yeah, I love talking to people as long as it's not, can I get coffee with you and you tell me how to make a career as a commercial director, then I'm happy to connect. Which I, not that I won't do that, but you know. Right, but for money. You've been on the but podcast for, enough times. You can be like, just listen to the podcast. Just listen yeah. to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Shouldn't we hop into the endorsements? Let's do it. Unpaid endorsements. I watch a lot of kids' movies nowadays, which is kind of incredible because we've only been watching movies that are like, at worst, very, very good. You're not like, oh, let me dig up this C- minus from my childhood. You're just like banger after banger with my kid. We watched Babe today. When was the last time you guys watched Babe? Is it good? It's great. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> Five years. Ago. Babe, Babe is Babe is incredible. Yeah, wasn't it written like by M Night Shyamalan or something? Uh, it's uh, George Miller and Chris oh. Newman. Chris Newman directed it, but George Miller produced it. George Miller did the sequel. He, 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 wrote, so he did. He did Mad Max and a bunch of those movies, like all that stuff. And then wow. had a detour in the '90s and 2000s where he did like Happy Feet, Babe. Um, and maybe another franchise, but it just was like cashing checks, making kids movies. Babe was nominated for best picture the year it came out. And James mm-hmm. Cromwell was also nominated for best actor. It's awesome. What year did it come out? Like early nineties or something? 95. 95. Right in the middle, 1995. And it's great. It's really fun. It's awesome for kids. It's a little scary, but, uh, Ooh. my wife and I cried at the end. Oh, it's about kindness. If you're, if you're like, Hey, if you're an adult who's happy to talk about Paddington, go back and revisit yep. Babe. That's my endorsement. And then my other endorsement, I was talking to my co-producer on the movie See You Next Christmas, B. Chaheen, previous guest, who is the most thorough person I know. And we had just gotten off like a call with like the residuals company because mm-hmm. we were like unclear next on... Christmas. Uh, for see you next Christmas. Yeah, yeah. We're kind of just kind of getting some clarification on a, a couple things that I think that if if she wasn't there, I don't know that I would be. I probably would have just glossed over it and not learned, not bothered to like set up a meeting and learn specifically how this residual point system works for SAG residuals or whatever. And I felt like a much better producer because of it. And it all boils down to admitting you don't know something and i think it is the most valuable thing you can do is admit you don't know something 
I agree. Like that's just how you open up to learning. And as filmmakers, we have to be aware of a lot of different skills. We are generalists in many ways. And so when you don't know about wardrobe or set design or fabrication or whatever isn't your specific wheelhouse, you probably came up through a vocation. There's a lot of stuff you don't know. Um, And we get scared about that sometimes, I think. And um, accounting is terrifying to me. It's truly (laughs) triggering. And I felt so much better afterwards. So that's my other endorsement. Recognizing it, own it, and also follow through and and learn, you know, dig in on it. What did you not know about SAG residuals? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, the way that SAG residuals work specifically is they're on, um, there's like a point system that basically um, the amount of money you earn, there are thresholds that SAG has pre-negotiated for every single contract. Um, so for every like a uh, certain amount of money, you get 0.2 points. You the actor. The actor. Yeah, exactly. So if you work... Uh, 10 days at $125 a day, that would be 10 points, right? Um, but if you went overtime, right, then you maybe would get bumped up into an additional amount. So you could have actors who worked the same number of days, but who earned different amounts mm-hmm. of money, earning different amounts of points. All of those points are then combined. And then you use that to divide up against the a percentage of the gross income that's the the total pie that gets sliced up and then distributed to people, right? And is it so, true that the SAG residuals get paid out before the investors get paid back? They they are off of gross. That is true. Yes. Yeah. So basically, as part of a SAG ultra low budget agreement, as soon as you go from first window theatrical into second window, t, uh, AVOD, uh, transactional, so like iTunes, all that stuff, and streaming, which is what we're in, a percentage of the gross that's again pre-negotiated by the guild is the total pie and then that pie gets sliced up based off of these points right but there's a specific cap on how many points you're allowed to get which is 15 um and that's because again pre-negotiated by the the um by the guild say you're Brad Pitt say you made a bajillion paid a bajillion dollars statistically speaking, the majority of the pie would be yours and every other actor would just get a little bit because you'd have a bajillion points, right? So like I said, that's why it's capped at 15. Again, the company had it. They, they knew they, they, this is their bread and butter. This is what they do every single day. I didn't under, I was looking at this and I was like, well, I'm sure it's right, but we needed, we wanted to know. And, and the math wasn't totally transparent. You know what I mean? So that's the gist, everyone. If you want, if you want to know, uh, let me know if you have any questions on residual companies. Okay, Carlin, what do you got? I loved a New Yorker article recently called How a Script Doctor Found His Own Voice. And it's, um, it's about Scott Frank, who created The Queen's Gambit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And wrote Minority Report mm-hmm. and like a bunch of things. And yeah, is it fair to call him a script doctor? That's like calling C- Carrie Fisher was no, a no, script no. doctor. Hold, you gotta too, read the article. Like, no, no, no. You, you gotta read the with. article because this guy, his whole career, like it wasn't like it, I, I think most of the time he um, 
was brought on to fix Minority Report. He wasn't, the, he's not always, he was for 40 years or whatever, maybe he's 60 something now. So like for the majority of his career until very recently, he mm-hmm. was brought on when studios were like, oh shit, we need someone to fix this. Gotta call Scott Frank. It also talks mm-hmm. about how much money he made, which was $300,000 per week. Ooh, yeah. that's script doctor. I had a friend I, that yeah. was an assistant to... <laughs> A script yeah. talker. And that's, they were, she would tell me things like that. I was There's like, no There's way. There's no I mean, way. That's... And then, sorry, guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah lay down, down for a second. second. But <laughs> I think <laughs> if you can get past that. I will tell you, Matt, we've had someone on the podcast before that gets paid that for script It's doctor. just wild. I mean, like, look, he's at the upper, upper, upper echelon of that. But it talks about how he, you know, he's like, they call him like a ventriloquist because he was so good at jumping into other people's. He and Steven Soderbergh have worked together a lot. Like, mm. you know, how he can he can be sort of all these things that people need him to be but at some point he was like who am i kind of going back to the orange shot list question um and just talked about how he had to start saying no to those gigs i mean can can you imagine saying no to that kind of money but that's how he made the queen's gambit that's how he's making his next few shows and so it was and he also lives in I guess it's a lot I easier know. if you have been making I know, money but still, it's like, it is hard, but, you know, I just thought it was a really... It'll run, you'll run out. No, I feel Me bad. Me too, poor guy, but it's, it's a cool, <laughs> no, like, peek like beh- behind the curtain, and it's also, he seems like, yeah, he's just so honest and vulnerable in this article, and it was just kind of fascinating to, to read about his journey and how where he is now and what he still struggles with and how he's kept his sanity, living in Pasadena which I liked. Um, I really just thought it was a great, great profile. Uh, Kaplan, what you got? Um, okay. I got a bunch of bad ones. Uh, I watched the first episode of true detective season four last night. Really enjoyed it. I freaking love an HBO show that comes on once I a know. week and it ends and you're like, God damn it. Now I have it to wait great. till next week. And Kara, my wife was like, she's like, what? Wait, how many more episodes are there? I was like, none. It's, she's like, with just one episode? I was like, yeah, isn't it great? She's like, no, I want to know what happens next. I'm like, yes, that we're going to watch it next week. Now we have something to schedule that is great. Sunday nights. Is this a sequel to the uh, previous season? Like a new iteration. No, it's, not. it's a whole it's new season, a new showrunner. Cool. Jodie Foster Love her. Um, is the lead and but, yeah. takes place in Alaska. And it's just a mystery. Anyway, I like that. Uh, next thing I might have endorsed this before, but I just I kind of forgot about it and rediscovered it last week. The freaking Mister Clean Magic Eraser. <laughs> the name is so accurate. What did your kids they draw, Warren? I know you know I've been doing a lot of construction in the house, and people carry stuff mainly mm-hmm. me and bash into walls. You know, I'm sure, sure. Carolyn, you've had a few. Like, let's yes. move this chair into here. <laughs> This, yeah, you're you know, like, oh no, these are my walls. walls now. Crap. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, where how I gotta get the paint? I gotta mix it. I gotta like get the brush out. And then I was like about to get all the paint to like get rid of all the scuffs. And I was like, I saw a magic eraser in the pantry. I was like, wait, let me see if this works. Amazing. Work removed every single scuff. Wow. They are incredible. They really are. Incredible. It is magic. That's cool. On the same tip of just super dumb endorsements. I'm sure 95% of people know about this, but if, for the 5% of you that don't, because growing up, I didn't know about this. Uh, if you light a match in the bathroom after you use it, it, it hides most of the smell. <sighs> Orin, 
Yeah. You cannot or, recommend totally. a match after pooing on this podcast. <laughs> it can be anything you do. But why, As a what you, new thing he heard about. It's not a new thing I heard about. It's a thing that I've been doing a lot lately. Look, you have to have matches in the bathroom to do this, right? We have matches in all of our bathrooms. We yeah, only have so two that's bathrooms. The thing. But you've been to people's houses that don't have matches, right? We, we don't jerks. have matches in our bathroom. Yeah. 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 See, the do Enlos don't poop in their house. No, I just, well, invite know. me over and I will bring some matches and, and just a little match fairy leaving them little trails. And by the way, turning a lighter on doesn't do it. Not the same. You need the match. You, and you guys put the match in the toilet, right? This is a great endorsement. Yeah. Yeah, Wait, I guess I do. You yeah. don't want to put it in the trash can in case it's still secretly lit. <laughs> sure. Right? I wouldn't I would always rinse it before I would throw any <laughs> match away. I'm, yeah. I'm crazy like that. Yeah. Yeah, I do that too. But yeah. if you just throw it straight into the toilet, it's like you're rinsing it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So even though it says don't flush anything, no sanitary napkins or whatever, you can still mm-hmm. throw a match in there. But Trust a tiny me. match. Yeah. No problem. Wow. Great endorsement. Wow. Carlin, it's been great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Cutting Oren off. Before he endorses washing his hands or something. <laughs> you guys do that? Okay. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. And produced, along with additional producing by Tyler Small. You can follow us across all social media and me at, uh, at Just Pod, And you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And I'm at O'Kaplan on Instagram. You can email us at justshootapod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know if you light matches after you use the restroom. Uh, and we will. That's not the problem. The problem is <laughs> acting like that's something to endorse. I, Matt, I my endorsements. Let me endorse driving a car. If you no. need to get from one place to another, dude, you endorsed admitting you're wrong. Come on, man. <laughs> like, if you want to talk about obvious endorsements, yeah. Listen, I'll stand. I think by we're in that. the same people, boat. People, I stand <laughs> by the match thing. People there are people who do don't know about it. I like I to run the gamut. Sleeping. From... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Carlin, every episode with you ends with like, can I go to sleep now? Everyone, it's 8 30 p.m. And Carlin's like, it's 10 20. I'm so she's tired. Like, I had a chamomile tea. I'm so jacked up. I, yes, I did. I had a mint medley. How do people with kids do it? Y'all are just tired all the time, I guess. Oh, 28 hours a day. Like, we're, we're, it's the Hulk. We're always angry. You're just tired all the time. Huh. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next time.